evening, everybody. Put our energies in front of us. 
so that now faith is out of sight and our energies are going towards that which will make us foot soldiers of battle. The making of wealth, the making of money, the building of my own treasures that can take me to heaven. Guys, there is a conflict of worship between Babylon and Jerusalem. Babylon tells me to worship by sight. Jerusalem tells me to worship by faith. Now by the time I've left here, you guys might be weary of listening to this. But the day is going to come when reason will prove faith is correct. Now we have to listen to reason and say, if I can't touch it, I can't smell it, I can't say it, it doesn't, uh, I, I, can't, uh, I can't sense it in any way, it doesn't exist. That's how reason thinks. So automatically it's expelled faith. But the time comes when, when the good Lord returns and all his promises are fulfilled, for those that held on the reason will see, ah, faith is correct after all. So we hold to that faith that will be proved correct. We know it's correct in our spirit, in our, in our knowing uh, confidence inside of us we have now. Let's hold on to that knowing confidence, that authenticity of faith, that self-proving faith because it's in our spirit. Hold on to that now and don't let it be stolen. Because the day is going to come when reason will prove faith correct. Now there were three deportations of the Jews. 605 BC, 597 BC, and 586 BC. Now those are <coughs> a little bit fluid, but these seem to be the ones that were most uh, prevalent. Um, but it's all ancient history. So the dates can be slightly inaccurate, but that doesn't remove the accuracy of the event. Now the temple, the Jewish, the, 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 the temple, God's temple was destroyed in 586 BC. So that's the last deportation of the Jews. Now it's interesting to note that Daniel is called God is my judge. That is, if God is his judge, Babylon is not his judge. So what Babylon says to us about what we should be doing and how we should be acting and, and the manners we conduct our life and the paths we choose to walk, don't worry about the judgment of Babylon. We have got even as God as our judge and that's surely what Daniel did, didn't he? He walked in the lion's there. He was still praying, he was still worshipping God in a manner that was unacceptable to Babylon. And that only multiplies today. So I think that name Daniel is quite pregnant with meaning. You've got a few Daniels here too, haven't you? Maybe you've got here tonight. No one's going to get their head up. Anyway, let's keep rolling. Now, Daniel chapter 1, I want to read three, five verses again. But that's actually how far we're going to get tonight. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, as was the old ways of carrying on wars. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Now get this. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is now taking vessels from the house of God. He's taking objects of worship that were dedicated to the Lord to put in his temples, not God's temples. <clears throat> he brought them to the land of Shinar. What's Shinar another name for? <coughs> Big voice? Babylonia. Yeah, thank you. Babylonia. Babylon. Same thing. 
So he takes them back to Babylon to the house of his God, whatever demon that was. Might have been Dagon, it doesn't matter. So he puts the vessels in the treasury of his God. So he takes that which is dedicated to the worship of the true God and he puts it, there begins to puts it in the place that is worshipped to a deceitful uh, demon, no God at all. It's the assimilation of worship. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Then verse 3. The king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief leader, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish. Now this is who the king wants in his court. Please listen carefully to the qualifications he wants. He wants people of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach of the literature and language of the Chaldeans. He's taking the Rolls Royce people from, from, the, from uh, Jerusalem and he's putting them on, on his uh, table to feast at. He's not taking the lost, the least, the last, and the lonely. He's only taking those that are most acceptable in his eyes. The Chaldeans is another word you can trans, uh, transfer it as uh, Babylonian. The Chaldeans were a small nation that lasts about 250 years. The Babylon uh, overrun it anyway, so they were uh, just morphed into becoming Babylonian. So verse 5, the king assigned them, these Rolls Royce people from uh, Jerusalem, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. So not only has, has Nebuchadnezzar taken the things of worship and placed them in his temple, his false temple, but he's now taken the best of the best from Jerusalem and placed them in his table. And he fed them what he ate. He didn't feed them what they ate in Jerusalem. He fed them the rich food of Babylon. And of course, that's the remainder of the chapter, but we're not going to get into that tonight. Now, please understand there's a parallel here. Not only was the food, literally, the, they got the lamingtons and the, the, the strawberry donuts, you know, and not just the pieces of bread. They got this sweet food from Babylon. But it's something deeper happening here. Because not only are they getting the food for the body, but they're getting the food for their soul. They've been taught the ways of Babylon. And it says that they were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time they were to enter the king's service. Now I can't think of that verse without having a shudder. Because that means these guys are now tied into working for Babylon. That's it. No chance of returning to Jerusalem. They are working for Babylon. They do Babylon's work in Babylon's way, eating Babylon's food, and being trained by Babylon. All the, all the, uh, the notion of their heritage, their history, from Jerusalem is now going to be lost. In fact, it continues to, to be uh, eroded by the fact they get their names changed. We won't go to that either. But names show your heritage, shows who you belong to. And that's why when, when there's marriage, the lady changes the name to her husband's name. The wife changes to her husband's name. Because she now belongs to the husband. That's not a particularly popular idea nowadays, but that's where it comes from. And that's <coughs> accurate. Now, so they get their names changed and they uh, enter the king's service. It sounds like a life sentence to enter the king's service. Now, let's do a little bit more ancient history. I like ancient history. I hope you like it. 
products are found on all nine other two or three stories. That's a big shopping centre. And when I, when I times I've been there, I get gobsmacked out. Wow, look at all this. So there's a, a picture of what's been worshipped on Sundays. Walk down, go to Western. There's no big shopping centres around here, are there? But you can still go to the shops on Sunday and you can see people in the shops busy like they normally are during the week. Nothing is now distinct. There's no place for rest. That's what uh, that's what uh, Babylon does. Steals their rest away. So Babylon teaches the worship of knowledge. We looked at the heaven, creating abundant knowledge to abundant faith. But knowledge does not equate equate to faith. Let's get this right. We're going to be celebrating Easter in about four weeks. And one of the fellows on the cross beside Jesus, so remember me today when, when, um, when you're in paradise, and Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Now let's think about that man on the cross. He's not a cross actually because he's done something wrong. So there is a sense of justification that he's on that cross. He had no theology, he had no knowledge, he had no schooling. He had, no, he had no doctrine, he had no understanding of, of, of uh, faith at all, except he believed in Jesus. Now, so all the things that the worship the world tells us to worship, this guy didn't have, but he still made it to heaven. Can you see the difference? He had faith, he did not have knowledge. So in the pursuit of knowledge, we have to be very careful. Be very careful that it's actually not going to take us away from our faith. Because Babylon says, when you've got great knowledge, you've got great positions here for me. In Babylon. And that's why we pursue study so, so very virulently. Did I say that right? So strongly. That's why we pursue study. Because Babylon says, I have got much abundance waiting for you if you keep studying what I want you to study. I don't know how many PhDs are these days, though, these days, around the world. That's another discussion. So what we've got now is we've got the temple in Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar's got God's idols of worship in there. And Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians can't see any problem with this syncretism, this melding of, of religion of faith. It says, Babylon says, God is not jealous and he's happy with syncretism. That's what Babylon is telling you. Babylon places God's articles of worship with its orders of worship, creating an equality within its servitude. So people will tell me that all religions are good and all religions should be one and there are many ways to heaven. It's created an equality that's, that's not there. It's an equality that doesn't exist and never will exist. The reason is going to prove that right one day. So, once I've become compliant to Babylon, it then places me in servitude to it. Now, that's either in debt, that's either in belief, where I have to keep offering, offering, and offering to the false gods that are around me. And then that claims our time and makes us busy and we don't find peace at all. I might have mentioned to you that last year when I was in, in, in India, the Hindus have got all 
all these temples, whether they're magnificent or whether they're dog boxes on the side of the road, it doesn't matter. These poor, poor people are sacrificing their wealth or their property to these false gods, the demons. And that's all in the opinion or in the belief or the deceit that you have to offer this <coughs> you have money you have for serving on wealth, income you have, to these false these demons, these false gods, the real demons. And so they keep themselves poor, they're in servitude. Of course, they're worshipping that which is false. And they don't understand it. If they did, they wouldn't, would they? So, Babylon confirms that comfort and peace is gained by gathering in abundance. So if I have if I can gather in abundance, I then feel I then receive comfort and peace. But that's the opposite, because I'll never get to that point where I've had enough abundance. So I'll continue to strive and be restless to gather more and more and more. I think John D. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world in the 70s. If he wasn't the richest man in the world, he wasn't far off. And if I recall correctly, Rockefeller lived on a penthouse uh, in Las Vegas. And he's a recluse. Now he had the top level of a, of a hotel, the whole top level of this hotel. I presume he owned the hotel. So this was his house. And he was still a recluse in it. So one day, one day some journalist managed to get an interview with him. And the journalist inquired of John Lockefeller. He said, how much money do you need? Rockefeller inquired, just one dollar more. That's the definition of Babylon. It's an echo of <coughs> Just one dollar more. Go and buy one more dress. Go and buy one more pair of shoes. Go and buy one more car. Go and buy one more bike. Go and buy one more house. You know how it goes. Go and buy one more answer. That's all you need. And then after you've had it two or three years, you find out it's not satisfying you either. So you start the whole cycle again. Babylon promotes restlessness. That's why I read this passage out from, um, from 1 Timothy. God, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's where the gain comes from, contentment, not restlessness. So we've become foot soldiers for Babylon, and that's what God, uh, that's, that's what um, Nebuchadnezzar wants us to do, wanted the Jews to do. Babylon is only interested in those who can further its own ends. Let's get that right. That's why it took the, the Rolls Royce people from, um, from Jerusalem. It wasn't interested in others. We're going to talk about that soon. Those who can march in a well marshaled unison to its own tunes. It seeks its own servants, creates its captains of industry, and people to die on its manner, and thus influence all those below them. Now, at the risk of, of being a little bit bold, but I'm going to take a punt, we all know each other. The captains of industry, the captains of this world, are the ones who are the influencers. Now, if you want to understand a homosexual debate, remember Elton John has been at the core of the music industry for 40 years. Come to Australia, and we've got Alan Joyce, the CEO of Pontus, 
a man of great influence, standing up for that which is of Babylon, and it is not of Jerusalem. Now he doesn't get, Babylon doesn't get the uh, poor beggar on the street. One of doesn't get to the poor beggar, but two of the poor beggars got no influence. They're promoted to be wives. So understand, please, that what Babylon does, it gets those of influence above to influence those who are below. And then the poor beggar on the street, or the poor person that's sitting in a university who actually doesn't understand there and sitting in Babylon's uh, school of teaching, will start to take in the things that Babylon wants to learn. And then they will go out educated as Babylon has educated them and repeat the information. I know that because I'm a teacher. But the stuff I was taught and the things I taught were just simply neutral. But nowadays it's a lot more than just neutral. Babylon offers a counterfeit food, a counterfeit excellence for life. Babylon promises its own better and sweetened manner satisfies. Yet satisfaction is never found. It feeds those who belong to Jerusalem to drink them. Says, look how good my food is. But they will then turn away from Jerusalem and head to Babylon. Because if I'm eating, if I'm eating um, bits of lettuce, if I'm eating non-leavened bread, I'm going to be far more interested in strawberry donuts, aren't I? And that's what, well I am, sorry, maybe you aren't. That's what's going to take me away from Jerusalem and Babylon, because I like what it used to be believed. And that's in a spiritual sense as well as a physical sense. So there is a foreboding and a sadness at the end of, uh, at the end of verse 5, where it says, they were trained for three years and then they entered the king's service. There's echoes there of long service in Babylon. Now, let's have a look at Babylon's refuse. The people that Babylon rejects makes Jerusalem the best. Does that sound familiar? Come help me out, Steve, does it? You're smiling. The people that Babylon rejects makes Jerusalem the best. Now, where do I get that from? John West. John West, thank you. John West, the fish that, that John West rejects makes John West the best. He doesn't take the book, he doesn't take the pots and the jets, he doesn't take the sea fish and he takes the best. And that's how Babylon works. So what Babylon does, it discards the people who are the pots and the jets of life. It discards the people that aren't able to meet its goals and meet its ends. Babylon does not seek the lost, the least, the last, the lonely. It can't gaze into a man's true heart. It can only count the beats of a heart. Yes, Babylon can do that. It can tell you what your heartbeat is. It can tell you if it's, if it's healthy or it's not healthy. It can tell you what your blood pressure is. But it can't see the man's heart. It can only measure his beats. Now, Jeremiah 52, little obscure verse, says that Nebuchadnezzar left behind the rest of the poorest people of the land. Nebuchadnezzar was Nebuchadnezzar's guardian, uh, chief of the guard. And he was the one that was taking all the people, these 2,300 kilometres, from one city to another city. But what did he do with the poorest people? He left them behind. He didn't want the poorest people. He took the best people. Now, if I understand 
least. There's about 10% of Israelites left behind. But did they lose out? Did they lose out because they were left behind? Now, there's a song. Comes from Psalm 137. While the rivers of Babylon, I sat down and wept. So those Israelites, those Jews that were in Babylon, they were the men in Jerusalem. They were the people that were suitable for Babylon. They sat and left, they were wept by the rivers of Babylon. So, now, let's go back to the poor people, the lost, the least, the last, the lady, those ones that were. We were endured by, by the conquerors, by, by, uh, by the Babylonians. They're the ones that are sitting in the land of Jerusalem. They are the ones that are working more fields than they had before. And they're the ones that are working more vineyards, so I suspect they're also the ones enjoying the fruits and the wine of Jerusalem in peace. So it's actually the poorest that were the best off. And the ones that should have been better off in Babylon were. I actually wonder, those who neglect the needy, are they no better than Babylon? In fact, I wonder if to neglect the needy is a sign of the white song in Babylon. A mate of mine, who was many years ago, down down at the walls of the Bordeaux, the young girl actually came up to us, we just walked in there to chat with him. He's a wealthy man. And uh, this young girl was half money. And he realised he did a runner. He couldn't see how he could do it that time. I wonder if those who neglect the meaning is in a bit of a side, and a side, is actually in the car. There is nothing new under the sun, for in very, very unknown void by worthless. That's the Babylon's purpose. Nothing we do here for earth except we depend for the Lord who is God. Is it not the fool who is constantly working for that which can't fail, which can't last? Why would you take working hard for something which you can't do? We are anxious agents pursuing Jesus and avoiding that which fades. Rust and stole. You know the story of this fellow I tell it to you now. But he but the Lord sent him to life all life to the Father. He stood up many things. And one day that's going to come all of us. Tonight will life and the Lord and fire of you. So let's tie this together. Let's conclude. We all died from the same plane of faith. We lift the same utensils. It is what we serve on our plate that matters as we stand for. We either choose from the menu of Babylon and the manner of all the manner of our heaven's menu. And that's where the clash is. We can choose to join in Mardi Gras, we can choose to eat the lemons and, and, and the ice creams and the pieces of this world and crush our spirits inside. Or we can take the discipline side. We can take the discipline side. Jerusalem and flourish in the world. Now there's a delightful conclusion in my 21. I'm just like a lot of people.
Jerusalem. 